Good morning, everyone. For those of you who have not met me yet, my name is Colin, and I'm your pastor. Uh, (laughs) uh, I do want to just take a moment and say thank you to all those who stepped up in a special way this, uh, this summer on the stage for sure, but also so many behind the scenes as well. That is a sign of a healthy church. We never want everything or anything really to rest on the shoulders of one person. So I'm going to play catch up this morning and I'm going to be uh, fairly quick as I go through this. A lot has happened this summer that I would just like to corporately celebrate. And there is one verse that the Lord arrested my attention with early in the summer that I've been thinking about and pondering all summer long. And so that's where we'll wind up. But everything that I share before that is intrinsically tied to that verse. So let's begin. We'd like to celebrate our new births in our body. Beginning on June 6, we have little Isaac Anderson Gemelong, also known as Zach, is his nickname. Congratulations to Andrew and Felicia. Uh, can, yeah, you all can applaud. I mean, this is... Uh, These are happy, happy announcements. Born on August 14th, Leon Mechinov. Um, Congratulations to Yevgeny and to Didi. A fine, healthy young man. And there they are. And most recently, congratulations to Aaron and Charlene on the birth of little Matthew, Isaac, Lynn, Adams. And we got to hold him last night. (laughs) Moving right along in the celebratory announcements, uh, congratulations to Megan Musser, used to be Megan Musser, and Ryan upon their wedding just a few weeks ago. Congratulations to the entire Musser family on this wonderful addition to their family. Not to be outdone, I would like to congratulate Megan's sister Amy and Ryan Hauk on their very recent engagement as well. So if you all could maybe just... Yeah, you got to stand for just a second. Yeah. There we go. Congratulations to you guys. Earlier this week as well, my parents celebrated their 61st wedding anniversary on Monday. And they are watching. They are watching online, so congratulations. Would also like to celebrate the ministry that took place at Cedarbrook Camp of Pennsylvania when they finished the week of camp. It is no longer Cedarbrook Camp of Pennsylvania, but Cedarbrook Camp of the Mid-Atlantic States because so many people from across the country are coming. Twenty-five of our kids were represented at this week of ministry and seven volunteers from Durwood Bible Church. Praise the Lord for all of that. Well, you might know in July, I spent time uh, in two different countries as a part of the ministry trips that uh, we provide, and both of them have already been spoken to, so I'm just going to take a few highlights from that. And again, everything I share is tied to the verse that we'll be looking at. 
So as Mike Spear uh, mentioned earlier, a few weeks ago, uh, he led a team from our church, I was a part of it, to Brazil. This is our wonderful ministry partner, Sarita, right next to me. This is on a day that we were in a particular village, and next to her is the leader of from that village of Open Arms Ministry that we are partnering with. They reach at-risk children. This is the pastor of said village. Now just take a moment and look into his eyes. He is one of many that the world will never know their name. But surely on that day he will hear the words, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What a blessing it is for us to be connected with so many wonderful brothers and sisters around the world. This little picture here captures a lot for me. This is a small group. Uh, There are large group gatherings with the kids. And then um, very solid ministry uh, concept. They break the kids into smaller groups to discuss what was spoken, the Bible lesson, and so forth. And so the Brazilians obviously take lead on that as they speak Portuguese and we do not. And oftentimes at that point, we would just be there in the wings to support them. The next picture is the last picture from Brazil, but it's one that I like to speak to just a little... Oh, I forgot to delete that. Keep... (laughs) Actually, keep keep going. Yeah. Uh, okay. So go back. I actually meant I had to cut some things down, but okay. So there there's a grill pick, and none of you are surprised. Um, but I just want to say this: this was the last night that we were there. Next slide. Um, yes, the food was amazing, and I think everyone would agree on that. But what was the special part was celebrating that last night. Um, all that the Lord had done, the friends that we had met and made and celebrating in that there's some of the team right there. So, uh, so I need to apologize. I arranged these slides and then I rearranged them this morning. So we're going to go to a picture that has one person speaking, uh, and, uh, it's towards the end and it's a, a, a large group of kids just watching. So I, I apologize for having to, to find that. But I'd like to tell the story of the person who founded this ministry that we support in Brazil. His name is Mike Myers. I've known him for a long time. I actually had the joy of baptizing him many years ago. Our paths reconnected about six or seven years ago. Mike Myers was living the American dream in Virginia. He was quite focused on, we'll get to that picture in just a second. He was quite focused on making more money, rising up in the workforce. They had just bought a new home. Certainly a time of celebration for them. He and his Brazilian wife, Patricia, had worked hard to get to that point. But Mike became convicted when he read a verse in the Bible about the compassion of God. Mike was convicted because he knew he was not a compassionate person. 
I mean, in, in his own words, he was kind of living for his own, you know, development. Nice guy. But he began to cry out to the Lord, why do I not see the compassion of God in my life? This is him. Thank you, Mike. This is um, Mike speaking to a group of kids. But why do I lack the compassion that is such an important aspect of God's character? I'm a follower of Christ. After they bought their new home, as they often did, they went down to Brazil for the Christmas holidays. And Mike was really bothered by this. He cried out to the Lord one morning. And he actually laid prostrate on the, on the ground by himself. Lord, work compassion in me. Because I surely lack it. That morning, he and his father-in-law were, were driving. I can't remember where they were going. But I'd like to just read to you, in his own words, what happened a couple mornings after that prayer session. It's very common at intersections in big cities for uh, street kids to be there asking for money, offering to wash your windshield and so forth. He said, as we waited in the stifling heat for the signal to change, I noticed a boy, probably seven or eight years old, barefoot and dirty with the ragged t-shirt and short combo typical of street kids in South America. He was going from car to car, knocking on each window and extending his grubby hand for some change. I could not take my eyes off of him. Now bear in mind, for years prior to this, he completely ignored them as if they did not exist. I was mesmerized. There were five cars back from the light. He said, as he moved his way back, I find, finally arriving on the driver's side of our car, something miraculous happened. This boy, whose name I will never know, he did not knock on our window. He did not extend his hand. He just looked through the window, past my father-in-law, and directly into my eyes. Those sad, deep brown eyes seemed to be pouring into my soul all the sorrow and suffering of his story. At that moment, as we looked into each other's eyes for what seemed like an eternity, I heard God's voice speaking to my heart. You asked for compassion. And here it is. That was a turning point in Mike's life. I'm leaving out some details. Fast forward, they returned back home to Virginia. They began moving their things into their new home because I think they had settled after they got back. And he knew he had to talk to Patricia because his life had been completely upended. That drive to become more well-off, to get a bigger home, all those things was completely gone. And the truth is, he would be very happy if they would go back to Brazil and just help kids. In his own words, perhaps at not the best moment, he 
pulled over and he told Patricia, his wife, as, of, of what had happened. And he said, this may not be the best time to tell you as we're actually like putting our stuff in our new home, but I would like to live in Brazil, go back to Brazil. She teared up and she said, that's exactly what God's been speaking to me about, but I didn't know how to tell you. What do I do? That's the story behind Open Arms Ministry that we support. And I'm so happy that we are a part of who they are and what they do. The next slide was the one we looked at before, which is what I'll call, I'm going to take you now to Kazakhstan. This is the, well, called the Kazakhstan Dream Team. Um, As Michael shared, a number of us kind of showed up in staggered ways. Um, This picture, first of all, I want to uh, share with you. The next one is a picture of Tatiana. She was the cook for the Bible Institute and therefore in my top 10 list of people of all time. She suffered a heart attack a few years back and I did what I just thought was the obvious thing to do is I grabbed a friend and tracked down her apartment and visited with her. Praise the Lord, she's doing much better now. But she had been praying for decades for her husband to come to know Christ. Every Sunday when she would go to church, he would ridicule her. Why are you going to those weird people every Sunday? We'll never stop praying for the ones that you love. Her husband was recently baptized. It's a beautiful story. As Michael shared a few weeks ago, uh, the purpose of why we were there uh, was to minister to kids and to teens in a camp setting. We're going to skip over that picture. He is ginormous. I'll talk about him later. Um, The next picture, this is just the beautiful setting. The kids, just outreach. It was beautiful. Here's a group picture of the second week of camp that I was there for. I want to take you to the next slide, I believe. This is Danielle. This is who, this is the one that we actually partner with. This is Alexander's son. On our last day there, we all went for a hike in the mountains, kind of a thing to do on the last day. But he stayed back because he wanted to make the most perfect rendition of what is called lagman, which is a beautiful noodle dish from that part of the world. He labored on that for hours while we were gone. And next picture, I would say he nailed it. But here's what I would like to speak to. That last night, we ate dinner outside together. We reminisced, we talked. It was a beautiful time, just like in Brazil on the last day. We finally said, okay, it's time for us to get going. Our flight left at like 2.30 in the morning, so we had to get back and get ready for that. But as is often the case, we tried to say goodbye, but it failed, right? It's a few more pictures, it's a few more this, and the kids came out, and it was just a beautifully wonderful, heartwarming time. And I actually apologized to Alexander because we were at his home. I said, I'm sorry, we're leaving later than we said. And he just looked at me, he said, Colin, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Witnessing the love that my kids have for you and your team 
is something so precious I don't even know how to explain. The next picture, I believe, is Daniel and his wife. It might be towards the end of the presentation and uh, their little daughter. But even if we can't pull it up, I just, there we go. I just want to say this. Never stop praying for the ones that you loved. In the 14 years that I've known Alexander, had the privilege of, of serving and going over to Kazakhstan, there was a period of about five years where they, Alexander and Tatiana were heartbroken because their eldest was living in open rebellion to the Lord. He had no interest in the gospel whatsoever. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed through tears and the Lord arrested his heart. He repented and he is joyfully serving the Lord and working with youth. I want you to know that story. Very briefly about all of these trips. I wrote about, about this about eight years ago, but I just want to say a few things about the trips that you see us take. Just some bullet points. Number one, every single trip that Durwood commissions is always in conjunction with a ministry partner that we have. There's already a relationship there. We go at their invitation. They ask us to come. This summer in Brazil or in Kazakhstan through tears, the question is, when are you coming next? Let's get those dates down. When we go, we always and only do that which they ask us to do. We do not show up and just show them how it's done. To the best of our ability, we cover all of our own costs so that we are not a financial burden on them whatsoever, even to feed us. The final thing I want you to know, and this is very important to me, I know and I pray that we, are, that we do good for them. But my main focus is the people who go. What a wonderful opportunity to be stretched out of your comfort zone, to see the Lord at work in different settings and different cultures, people who speak another language and so forth, you realize that God is alive and God is at work. The power of the old rugged cross is so beautiful and so powerful. So I turn our attention this morning now to the book of Joshua, if you have your Bibles. Joshua chapter 23. I'd like to give you a little bit of background. Joshua has led the Israelites into the promised land. Moses led them out of Egypt, but he didn't make it into the promised land. The generation that Moses led out, they died in their unbelief in the wilderness. Their bones are buried. Under the sand. A journey that should have taken no more than two weeks became a three ring circus, as we all know. But eventually, the next generation, under the leadership of Joshua, they make it in, and everything is going great. They are in the promised land, they are serving the Lord. Joshua gathers the people to himself. As he is getting older, and he has this to say in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. 
And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed out of all of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. He implores them in chapter 23 to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord only. They respond by saying that they will absolutely do that. But he reminds them that serving and worshiping God is not something we enter into half-heartedly with one foot in the Lord's camp and one foot in the world. Worshiping God is serious business. Listen to these iconic words in the next chapter, chapter 24. Verse 14. Joshua again is addressing the people. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods, lowercase g, that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. You will always have distractions. You will always have temptations. You will always have something that is lesser pulling at your mind and in your heart. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day. Now, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have this somewhere in your home, and rightfully so. They respond by saying that they will absolutely serve and worship God. Turn a few pages over to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him. A beautiful picture. People joyfully serving the Lord. A leader who through adversity brought them into God's promises. Commissioned them to serve God alone. They agreed to do so and they did. What follows in verse 10 
is one of the more startling verses in all of Scripture. And it would become the template, literally, for the generations to follow in the Old Testament. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel, literally the righteous deeds of the Lord. And no, I did not ask Vinny to pray that verse this morning. The love of God, the pursuit of righteousness, the beauty of walking with the living God went silent in one generation. Now, I'm not going to read too much into that passage, but you can see what I see. It appears that though the generation that was joyfully serving the Lord wholeheartedly did not pass the baton to the next generation and or the next generation refused it. The joy of knowing God, the disposition of compassion and love toward our neighbor, the refusal to compromise convictions rooted in God's character almost overnight, gone. A generation of moms and dads who walked with God and served Him faithfully, a generation of kids, surely, who were enrolled in Awana and youth ministries and Kid Zone. I kid. But the kids grew up and they did not know God. They never embraced Him. For their own. The difference between knowing about God here and knowing Him here. That one phrase in verse 10 should arrest our attention. Now I know that the Lord can and will apply the truth of this passage in different ways to different people. And I want to say this very clearly up front. This is not an intent on my end in any way to put a burden on anyone else. Or to cause unnecessary guilt. But there is no more precious possession that we have than our children or grandchildren. Be they young or in their adult years. May I ask a few questions? What has the power to keep you up at night? After night, after night, after night. What has the power in your life at times to flood your heart and your soul with concern and worry? 
the kind of concern that you don't just feel tangentially. You feel it in your soul. What has that place in our lives that touches us, that causes us grief at times, in the very deepest part of our soul? When someone does harm to our children, does it not bring out Mama Bear or Papa Bear in ways otherwise would be completely unimaginable? The grief of losing a child is incomparable. Saints, let us be supportive of one another. As we walk through fiery or difficult trials and tribulations and challenges with our children, even in their adult years. Do we not yearn for our kids to love the Lord Jesus? To walk with him? To show the world the fruits of the spirit in their lives, love, joy, kindness, and so forth? To embrace the truth, to stand on it, to walk in it, to turn from sin and pursue godly righteousness. Are we supporting those who are are heartbroken that their children, perhaps older, are not currently walking with the Lord? Are we faithful in prayer for those parents, grandparents perhaps? Who are facing unimaginable trials with their children. To see your children who are older. Walking through such difficulties and challenges. Sickness. Disease. Mental illness. Emotional stress. Relationship challenges. Financial challenges. Abuse. Loss. Or grief. And the list goes on. We cannot even describe how that affects us. When our hearts hurt for the hurt that our loved ones are facing. It affects us in the depth of our soul and in every part of our body. If you know a friend who is experiencing this and you know that, please support them as you're able to. Discipleship begins in the home. We know that. That is where discipleship is truly commissioned, Deuteronomy chapter 6. But we each have a part to play in supporting moms and dads, engaging the younger generation praying for a generation to rise up that would sanctify Jesus as Lord in their hearts and live accordingly for them to not merely know the word, but to be doers of it 
That generation in Judges 2, of course they knew about God. They grew up hearing the stories, how God had delivered them. They experienced it firsthand, albeit they were young. Their new digs, the new place where they lived, the blessings that God had shown. But there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. And we pray that this next generation, and I'm speaking of kids and teens and young adults, for them to know in the recesses of their soul that they are truly and unconditionally loved by God. Even when everything in their own thinking might scream otherwise. For them to not only know about God, but to know Him. And to live in that assurance and that joy. The gospel informs us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. May this peace and joy be known and embraced for the youth growing up in this church. May their minds be anchored in the unchanging truth of God's word that is neither updated nor amended with the genius ideas that each generation brings. May they be so rooted and established in the love of God that it flows so easily from them to those around them. That the world would see Christians who are sincere, who love well, who care for those around them, who stand firmly on their Christian convictions. Lord knows the insanity they face in culture today. Friends, we ought not to beg for servants in our children's or youth ministries. There should be a waiting list, a waiting list for kids' own leaders, for Awana leaders, for youth leaders. A waiting list that's clamoring to get in, to help, to play a small part. When I officiated Megan's wedding, it, people expected me to say that I was her pastor. What a joy to say I was also your sparks leader. I played a very, very small part that you probably don't even remember, really. A very small part of your development. But is there a mom or a dad among us that is not extremely grateful for the volunteers who come around and help our kids or our teens? It is true that I don a Sparks uniform every Wednesday and have for years. But it is only me, like many others, playing a really small role in the lives of the families in this church. To do our best to support mom and or dad and to encourage and help develop the next 
generation. Friends, when we call a prayer gathering a church, it's often the most sparsely attended meeting. I know, I know, we're busy. And it can be awkward, feels uncomfortable. All of that is true. But look what's at stake. I know there are mamas who are hurting so deeply because they are estranged from their children who are now adults. If we do nothing else, then show up and faithfully pray pray for our parents, our grandparents, our caretakers and children. We do well. That the Lord would help and support every single person. That he would bring healing And ignite a spirit of Joshua in this next generation. And I do know there are many pockets of prayer throughout the week, every single week. Small groups, people who know each other in people's homes who are praying. But I just wanted to to shed that perspective on our prayer gatherings. Now you say, well, hang on. I'm not a kid's guy. I'm not a youth guy. You don't want me to be left leading a room full of kids. Fair enough. Truth is, we don't want people serving in the youth ministry that don't belong in youth ministry. But I'm going to give you a few practical things that you can do To support the ministries of Derwood Bible Church that are focused on children and youth. Here are four of them. Number one, set an alarm on your phone on Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday evenings, particularly during the school year. Pray for our youth ministries and young adults and Awana during that time. Sunday evenings, 4.30, middle and high school students are here. Monday evenings, our young adults ministry impact have their Bible study. Wednesday evening, this building during the school year is, you know, overtaken by kids from our church, from other churches, from the community next door as well. Last year, Steve March, one of our Awana directors, would give me a specific prayer request to put into the church email every week. And I hope that you took advantage of that. Number two, this is really practical. You don't have time, maybe, to serve on a regular basis. But volunteer to help set up or tear down before or after the events. So our leaders can maybe go home a little bit earlier. Look, they got day jobs just like the rest of us. They show up to serve. You could easily come... When you can, for a little bit beforehand, I mean, talk to the leaders, you know, to talk about details, but certainly at the end of the event, maybe somebody else can run the dust mop through this building after the event. Number three, you can volunteer as a hall monitor or join our security team on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night. You don't have to even talk to kids, but you can be a part of the overall operation. Number four, 
You probably know a volunteer who serves in some of these ministries. Ask them, how can I specifically pray for you as you support families in our church? Now, I am not saying that the younger generation is the only demographic that matters. Not in the least. But I am reminding us all how much they do matter. And how involved this process is of raising kids and launching them and supporting them. May the Lord raise a generation of A.W. Tozers who practice and who love the presence of God. One of the first big things that I did when I became your pastor was to hire my friend Mike Spear. We had had a business meeting. It was a difficult time in the, in the life of our church. And we thought to ourselves, we elders, after the business meeting, you know, we need to hire somebody, at least part-time, to oversee the ministries to children and such. What a beautiful evening that was when we all looked at each other and said, nah, we're not, we have to, we have to trust God and hire someone full time to do this important work of supporting families in our church. I get a call from Mike saying, you know, what if that person was me? What if I stepped away from my engineering, I think, job and stepped into youth ministry because God's been stirring my heart. He and Anna had served for years already in that ministry. Saints, it is no secret that our adversary is active and roams around like a lion looking whom he may devour. I'm almost done. Do, not, do you not think that he has his target set on our youth? I pray the Lord uses this passage to prompt you in various ways to engage more fully. Maybe you are a mom or dad who needs to hear that you need to be more intentionally, intentional in discipling, discipling your own kids. I'll let the Spirit make that application. Deuteronomy 6 places the emphasis of spiritual development in the home. And Ephesians 6 calls out dads. The recap I gave earlier on, babies being born, homes being established, ministry to youth in Brazil and Kazakhstan. This is the theme that the Lord was developing in me over the summer. That one verse that I read just a couple weeks into the sabbatical, it never left me. When we were in Kazakhstan, we visited a small village church in a little village called Cosmos. Membership, 18 people. This wonderful sister here, have an accordion picture. We had a wonderful time of fellowship with them that evening. She recalled how her father-in-law had led her to Christ years ago. The church itself was established 20 years before communism fell. It was not easy. Her one question to us was this. How do we prevent teens from leaving the church? The temptations are everywhere. 
Saints, our message has not changed. It is the same gospel that Peter preached at Pentecost. Save yourselves, he said, from this wicked generation. It is the same gospel that Paul preached. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is the same truth that Jesus spoke. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That is the nature of the gospel. I will close if you would turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what conversion looks like. Yes, we have seasons of struggle and doubt and wandering in our lives. But there's something very special that the gospel does for us. 36 verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The gospel is not try harder. The gospel is not do good. The gospel is to recognize that you need the mercy and the grace of God. To believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again. To put your faith and your confidence in Him alone as your Savior and Lord. There should be no one pulling and convincing us to come to church or to serve the Lord. When we're born again, that's there. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Oh Lord, we give you thanks this morning. We give you praise. Thank you for your faithfulness. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray for the precious possessions that we have, our children, our youth, our grandchildren, and so forth. Be they young or be they old. We pray that they would walk with you, that they would love you from the depth of their heart. We pray that they also would know that they are deeply loved. In the heartache, the hurt that we so often experience in this life, in this world, help them to see you. Send an angel to them who administer your love and your grace and your support and your encouragement to them. We pray that Durwood Bible Church absolutely would be about raising a generation that truly knows you and loves you and loves well. And may you grant support as only you can for those who are hurt, who are struggling, who are stretched thin. Remind them of your love for them. And let us be attentive and support one another 
in this great cause. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.